0: Would you remain standing and grab your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. If you utilize a pew Bible in front of you, uh, this passage starts at the bottom of page 1,139 and continues on the next page. Pastor Bruce doing his first lesson in a series, Rediscovering the Church. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, well, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose God, as we take in the words that you've given us this morning through your scripture, Lord, would you help us to see the value that you have bestowed on us as individual members of this body? Lord, as you've called us into your family, Lord, that you've grafted us into this membership, into this body, Lord, that we can um, put to use the the skills and the characteristics that you have formed us for to impact our world here and abroad. Lord, may we just Lord, feel your grace and mercy pour into us. God help us to see who we are in you and who we are together uh, as a body of believers in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. I am uh, super, super
1: excited to stand before you this morning as we begin a brand new series called Rediscovering the Church. And uh, last August, if you were with us, you might remember that we did a series that we entitled called re the Church. And we did that series in preparation for uh, relaunching the Discovery Hour and even uh, continuing to regather in one worship service. And so today... Uh, I want us to begin a new series that's simply focused on rediscovering the church. After all, after an 18-month pause, if you will, uh, uh, COVID disruption, we need to rediscover some foundational truths that are key to functioning as a church body. And So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to let you know from the outset here that in this series, we're going to rediscover church membership, first of all. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And then the next two Sundays, we're going to rediscover the church ordinances, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then last, we will conclude by rediscovering church discipline. And what we're going to see is that all these things are connected. They are all interrelated. And so let's dive in right here, right now, and rediscover church membership. And here's the question that I want to pose to us. It's the question I want us to answer together here, and that is, does church membership matter? Does church membership matter? And the answer is, yes, absolutely it matters. In fact, notice this in your notes. I I invite you to follow along if you want to fill in the blanks on your handout or just follow along on the screen behind me. Notice this, a church membership, it matters more than you probably think or perhaps even realize. The idea, though, of church membership, let's be honest, it has fallen on hard times in the last few years, starting even before COVID. Some people say that church membership is necessary, but most people think that it's just optional. Uh, It doesn't really matter. And it's not that people are against membership as an idea. I mean, think about it. After all, Uh, Costco and Sam's Club are doing quite well. If I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have a membership at Sam's or Costco? Some of you even have memberships at both, and you shop at both. So it's not that we are against membership as an idea here. The problem is church membership in particular is often misunderstood. It is often misapplied, or perhaps not even applied at all, which is why I want us to take some time here in the month of November and I want us to rediscover the church and this morning, specifically rediscovering church membership because it matters more than you probably think. Matters more than you may even realize. Now, after 30 years, I can still remember the excitement of dating my bride-to-be. She's sitting right over here. And uh, I knew who she was before we started dating, and uh, I knew who she was before uh, I went off to college. But to be honest with you, for whatever reason, she never really caught my eye. When I was in high school, and she's uh, three years older than me, and she was already in college, and I just was like, okay, yeah, I didn't pay much attention. But then when I came back from college in Springfield here, for some reason, she caught my eye. And I tell you what, it was love at first sight. I was awestruck by her beauty. I was even more captivated by her inward beauty. And I quickly realized, now here is a woman who is special. Here's a woman who I want to spend the rest of my life with. And we began to date, and after three months of dating, I'm like, man, I want to make a lifelong commitment to this woman. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And thankfully, she said, what you say, darling? Yes, and so for 30 years we've been married now. So what about the bride of Jesus Christ, though? David Platt, a pastor out east, he contends that many Christians too often, quote, date the church instead of making a commitment to the church. Now, why is that? Why, in his uh, contention, why do we date the church instead of making a commitment to it? And now there are a variety of reasons, several reasons for this, but the two prevailing reasons that I think are this, and they're in your notes coming up on the screen, that we often quote, date the church, is that our culture, first of all, idolizes individualism. And then it fosters consumerism. Now one of our most strongly held cultural values here, especially in America, is individualism. We are by nature self-reliant, we are... Self-sufficient people and the thought of mutual submission, the thought of accountability and interdependence, it seems rather foreign to us. In fact, sometimes it might even seem a little frightening to us. Individualism is at odds with the biblical notion of corporate identity and commitment where an individual says, sure, I'm a Christian, but man, it's just Jesus and me. I don't need the church getting in the way. But church membership presses in, and it says, no, no, no. We are in this together. I need you in my life, and you need me in yours. And so one of the reasons why we tend to date the church instead of making a commitment to the church is because of our cultural ideology of individualism. It idolizes it. But also, number two, a second reason is many people approach the church with a consumer mindset They attend church because they want to to get something from church, to, to receive something from church. And it may even be a really good thing, such as biblical teaching or something for their kids, for instance. But overall, the approach is very consumeristic. This consumer mindset is what drives church hopping and shopping. It's it's looking for the best product, for the best price on a Sunday morning. It's, It's going from one church to the next and maybe staying a little while, but then moving on to another church that offers this program or that ministry. Now, consumer relationships, I will be the first to admit, consumer relationships are not always bad. In fact, they're fine if you're talking about Sam's Club or Costco but apply that kind of thinking to relationships like your marriage, for example, and it will create major problems. You see, the church, as we're going to see here over the next few weeks, the church is not a consumer relationship. In the text that Kirk read for us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that the church is a body. And he says that we are members of the body, just like a hand or a foot is a member of one's physical body. Now, can you imagine if your physical body had non-committed body members? Wouldn't make sense. What good is a hand if it's not actually connected to the rest of your body? Or if it rebelled against the rest of the body, says, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. It's just silly, in the analogy for Christians to think that they can follow Christ without engaging in the life of a local body of Christians. We've all heard of people who have lost a foot. They've lost a hand. Perhaps they lost a foot in an accident of sorts. Maybe they've lost a foot in war and battle. And on that unfortunate day, they were, we could say it this way, they were dismembered. That is, a member of their body was separated from their body, and that is a very tragic thing. And yet today in our culture, being separated from a body of believers is not so tragic. It's almost normal as lone ranger Christians are now quite common across our country. So one of the most, counter-cultural things that you can do as a Christian is to become a member of a local church. And if you're hesitant to join a local church because, well, after all, it's full of imperfect people, let me tell you, you're going to be waiting an awful long time to find that perfect church. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, there are three stages of growth when it comes to Christians joining a church. The first is disgust at the sins of others. The second is discussed then at your own sin. But the third stage is where we recognize that we can join a church as an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer who has redeemed us from being a self-righteous Pharisee. Boy, Bonhoeffer, he nailed it there. Matt Chandler adds this insight. He says, the church is not an institution for perfect people. It's a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. It's a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep. It's the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth, and I hope you believe that. I hope that is not only your belief, but your experience as well as you are a part of this church here at LifeBridge. It is the dearest place on earth. And so for the rest of our time here, let's rediscover church membership. And I want us to unfold this, unpack this in three simple truths here, the first of which is this. Church membership is God's wonderful idea. It is God's wonderful idea. Now, when rediscovering church membership, we probably first need to take a few minutes and rediscover the church itself. And Scripture uses the term church in two distinct ways. You have the universal church and you have the local church. And so notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. The universal church, what is that? It simply includes all Christians from all history. That's the universal church. The the local church, on the other hand, is the visible expression of the universal body of Jesus Christ. And so the universal church is made up of all believers in all areas, in all ages. In fact, it's even sometimes referred to as the invisible church. Why? Because it's not located or confined to one city or one location. It's the universal church. It's the invisible church. But it's not so much membership in this very broad sense in the universal church that we're concerned with here. Rather, if the universal church is that which spans all time in all place, then the local church is that which is confined to this particular time in this particular space, much like LifeBridge here this morning. Now, sometimes you might hear people say, listen, I don't, I don't need the church. It's fine for you. I'm glad you, you attend. I'm glad you go. I'm glad you're a part of it, a member of it. But I don't need the church. I already belong to Christ's universal church. Is that right? Is that proper? Can we just forget about the local church since all we all become members of the universal church at the moment of one's salvation? And the short answer to that is no. Listen, it's true that you don't need to join a church to be saved. Listen, our membership in the universal church is a gift of God. Just as our righteousness in Christ is a gift through our faith in Jesus Christ, and yet, just as our faith, in the words of the Apostle Paul, should put on good works, so we should, quote, put on our universal membership and do so locally. As one author writes, Jonathan Lehman, he says this, our membership in the universal church cannot remain an abstract idea. If it's real, it will show up on earth. In real time and space with real people, pandemic lockdowns don't change any of that. Indeed, listen, one's membership in the local church is always visibly expressed through meaningful membership in a local church body. This is God's glorious plan. This is God's glorious design for his people that His sons and daughters, that His redeemed people would belong to a local church in meaningful membership. In fact, when you read all through the New Testament, there are no such thing as drifting Christians. They are all anchored concretely in local churches. As another author writes, Douglas Miller, he says, and I quote, in the New Testament, there is no such person as a Christian who is not a church member. Conversion was described as the Lord adding to the church, according to Acts 2.47. There was no spiritual drifting. And so while there is a a growing number of Christians in our day who who actually reject the idea of membership in the local church, their, their attitude is somewhat like this, give me the universal church, but don't talk to me about membership in the local church. I don't need it. It just slows me down. It gets in the way of my walk with Christ. But that is a misunderstanding of church membership. And listen, I don't want us here this morning to feel that way about certainly this church, LifeBridge, and I certainly don't want us to feel that way about any other local church. Listen, God shed his blood for this local church. So let's rediscover a second truth about church membership, and that is this, church membership It's not just God's glorious idea. Church membership, number two, it is actually implied in God's word. It's implied in the word of God. And so I submit to you that the reason that we should, in the words of David Platt, stop dating the church is because God's word teaches that membership in the local church is important. Therefore, it matters to God, and it should matter to us as his sons and daughters, his redeemed. At the same time, I want to be careful here. Membership in the local church is not biblically commanded. The New Testament writers never say you must join a church. You just won't find that verse. That verse does not exist. That would be awesome if it did, but that verse doesn't exist. You won't find that in the New Testament. You must join a church. But I will say this, every letter in the New Testament assumes that believers are engaged in meaningful membership in a local church. And it's also true that when you look at Scripture, you won't find the word membership. But that's not much of an argument since the word Trinity isn't in the Bible either. But we know the concept of Trinity is taught in the Bible. In fact, the concept of church membership is quite biblical when you begin to read through the New Testament. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Kirk read for us, you will probably, if you go back and read through that, you'll notice five different times the Apostle Paul talks about how we are members of the body of Christ. And this word membership, therefore, better than any other word, it sums up the picture that the Scripture teaches about the church. We are members of a body. And although the New Testament gives no direct command for our modern concept of membership, listen, it does assume some form of committed, accountable, belonging to a local church as a reality for every true follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Membership in a local church, although it is never commanded, it is implied in God's word. In fact, the implications of it are so strong that I believe it leaves no doubt that obedience to God's Word demands that we join a local church in a way that's much more robust than just attending on a Sunday morning. So let me show you this from God's Word. The, the biblical basis for church membership. First of all, notice this in your notes. Number one, membership is implied by church gatherings. It's implied by the church gatherings. The New Testament assumes a very identifiable membership of local churches in their gatherings. The New Testament word for church is ecclesia, uh, ecclesia and it literally means gathering or called out assembly. In an overwhelming majority of the instances when that particular word is used in the New Testament, it's referring to an identifiable local gathering of believers. For example, you could turn over to Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, and there Luke writes these words. He says, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Now, that's talking about the local church that's gathered specifically where? In the city of Jerusalem. It's identifiable. It's confined to a space in time, the city of Jerusalem. Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5, he says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. In other words, multiple local churches now. He, then he goes on, he says, greet also the church that meets in their home. In other words, the universal body of Christ cannot gather in a house. This is a local gathering of believers that meet in Priscilla and Aquila's house. Later on, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her home. 1 Corinthians 1.12 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth. Galatians 1 2 says, to the churches of Galatia. 1 Thessalonians 1 1 through 2 says, To the church of the Thessalonians. In other words, what's the point here? What are, what's, what are we seeing? we're seeing that coming to Jesus Christ and saving faith was coming into a church, a local gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. And then notice this. The early church in the New Testament kept track of who was coming in to their assembly. Luke tells us back in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that after Peter preached this message, He then says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Added to who? Added to the church. And then they immediately began engaging in meaningful membership or meaningful community when he says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then what else is interesting, when it comes to helping widows in the church, helping them financially, with financial assistance, Paul says something very interesting to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. He says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. Enrolled implies what? You understand. And so it seems these early churches, they had some way of keeping track who was part of their assembly, who was part of their body of Jesus Christ in that local assembly. And so membership is implied, first of all, by church gatherings. We see number two, membership is implied by church leadership. It's implied by church leadership. These early local churches, not only had identifiable members who were part of the local assembly, but they also had identified leaders when they gathered together. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And it says in verses 21 through 23 that they strengthened the souls of the disciples... They encouraged them to continue in the faith. And then notice what it says next. And they appointed elders or pastors for them in every church. In other words, they had identifiable leaders for every church. They knew who they were. And perhaps the clearest text that we have in the New Testament for church membership is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, where the writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders. And submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, Matt Chandler, who is a pastor in Dallas, Texas, he actually points to this verse here in Hebrews chapter 13 as the linchpin for church membership. In reflecting on this passage of scripture, he he writes this, and I'm just going to quote what he says. He says, and he writes, two questions occurred to me first. First, if there is no biblical requirement to belong to a local church, then which leaders should a Christian obey and submit to? And second, more personally, who will I as a pastor give an account for? Now, regarding the first question, he goes on and he says, the scriptures clearly command Christians to submit to and honor church leaders, That is in Hebrews 13, 17. And if there's no understanding of local church membership, then who are we to submit to and obey? Is it anyone with the title of elder or pastor from any local church? Regarding the second question, the Scriptures clearly command church leaders to care for specific people. Will I, as a pastor, be held accountable for all the Christians in the Dallas Metroplex? Will I give an account for what they teach in their small group, how they spend their money, and what they do concerning international missions? You see, for Hebrews 13, 17, to begin to make any sense, two things must be true. The first of which is this. The early church members must have had a very clear idea who their leaders were that they were to obey and submit to. And then the second thing must be true. The early church leaders had a very clear idea of who these members were that they would give an account to God for. And do you see how all of this is all very relational? Members are to willingly submit and obey. And leaders are to lovingly shepherd those in the church. In other words, it should not be heavy-handed It should not be controlling. It should not be abusive, but rather it is a a humbling, a very humbling understanding that there is coming a day when I will give an account to God the Father for how I shepherd his church here at LifeBridge. Does that mean that I will give an account to God for every Christian here in Kansas City? I surely hope not. But I will give an account to every Christian who is a part of this local body, who is a member here. And if that's the case, then I need to know who's in this body and who's not part of this body. So membership is implied by church leadership. is implied by church gatherings. And then number three, we see membership is implied by church discipline. By church discipline. Matthew 18 and even... In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, these two uh, chapters talk about church discipline and, when necessary, even removing a person from the church due to significant, verifiable, unrepentant sin. And so, even in the realm of church discipline, it's implied that it's defined whether or not someone is in or out of the church. After all, how can you put, how can you uh, remove someone out of the church if there isn't an in where they never came into the church. In other words, how can you formally remove someone from the church if they were never really formally received into the church? And so simply put here, church discipline, it won't work if church membership doesn't exist. Unless there is some kind of membership in which Christians are bound together in local churches, the responsibility of exercising church discipline becomes more complicated, if not altogether, even impossible. Again, how can someone in the church be corrected lovingly? How can they be restored in their relationship with the Lord? How can they, if need be, even be removed if there's not a formal means of tracking Who is part of the body of Christ in this local assembly or that other local assembly or this local assembly? Now, this may make us all a little uncomfortable, even the the terms, the phrase church discipline. In fact, we're going to dive into this more in the very last sermon. But for now, here's what I want you to see is the big picture here is that the only way church discipline and church restoration can happen is if church membership is a reality. But perhaps that's why some people resist church membership. We don't want the kind of mutual accountability that church membership brings into our lives. We would rather do our own thing the way we want, when we want, without anybody interfering. I know, it's part of our culture, and it seeps into our churches. Fourth, membership is implied, lastly here, by church metaphors. By church metaphors. Throughout the New Testament, local churches are described as flocks that are composed of sheep. It's described as temples that are composed of living stones, households that are composed of family members, bodies, as we've already seen in 1 Corinthians 12, that is composed of body parts, or members in each of these metaphors push us to see the local church as composed of distinct yet vitally connected members. Now, whether there was a formal membership process or not, it's quite clear that believers in the early churches had joined together in some significant way. Now, true, I doubt they had membership classes like we have here at LifeBridge. We just finished a membership class, four weeks. I doubt they had any such thing. I doubt the early churches back then had questionnaires and and applications and signed covenants. I doubt they, they had a database. In fact, I know they didn't have a database, at least on a computer, with members' contact info and even slips where they had people sign and, you know, hey, if your contact info's changed, fill this out so we can update it. I doubt they had any of that. But whatever they did, they had some sort of understanding of church membership. And yes, they did it differently than how we do it today in our culture. So what we see is church membership is it is implied all throughout God's word, especially here in the New Testament. God's plan is that his people would belong to local churches and meaningful membership. Why? Why? Why, though? Well, that brings us to the third truth I want us to discover, and that is church membership is good for us. Church membership is good for us, and it glorifies God. Now, perhaps you have never thought of church membership in this way, that it's actually good for you. And on top of that, it glorifies God. But it is true. So let me show you here four benefits among many of joining a local church like LifeBridge and being involved as much as possible in the life of a church. The first biblical benefit is this. Number one, membership is affirmation from its pastors. Membership is affirmation from its pastors. You see, being accepted into membership in a local church, it gives affirmation that your faith is real as much as it can be discerned that your faith, listen to this, is not your own private man-made religion, but part of, according to Jude 3, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In fact, according to Matthew 16, Jesus gives his church the, the, quote, keys of the kingdom of heaven. And those keys represent the authority to affirm on behalf of heaven what is a right confession of Jesus Christ and who is a true confessor of Jesus Christ. So this is no small thing for a local church to find one's profession of faith to be credible. And that your lifestyle and your conduct is not disqualifying from church membership. And then to receive you into the membership of that local body, that is a huge thing. So what does this look like here at LifeBridge? Well, typically it begins with a conversation with myself where we begin to share our our stories of salvation. This conversation, it gives you a chance to get to know a little bit, not everything, about myself, ask questions about our church, It begins the process of even confirming in your own heart and mind, is this church right for you? This conversation gives me then a chance as the pastor here to get to know you a little bit, to confirm that you understand at least the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ and and that Jesus Christ really is your Lord and Savior. Why? Because here at LifeBridge, we want to do our due diligence. We want to do the best that we can to confirm that you are a Christian by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This conversation also begins the process of just knitting our hearts together in love as, as we share our stories, as we answer questions and help you to become a covenant member here at LifeBridge. And so, first of all, the first benefit, it's affirmation to you, the one who was joining or desires to join its affirmation on behalf of the church and our pastors who represent the church body. Second of all, membership is assurance then to the individual. It's assurance to the individual. Now, you might think a conversation with myself or perhaps even Pastor Chris or, or maybe even one of our leadership council members that like, man, that sounds like a horrifying event. <laughs> I'm Not sure I want to be a part of that conversation. You're going to ask me questions. And maybe you're an introvert and you're on the shy side about sharing your salvation story. Or perhaps maybe you've just embraced the full spirit of individualism and you think your salvation is nobody else's business. Whatever the case may be, I hope you hear this. None of this, this process, none of this is designed to be, quote, horrifying. Rather, it's actually meant to be very reassuring to you as an individual who desires to join arms with us in membership. You might feel safe, at least for the time being, doing your Christianity thing on the fringes outside of a local church. Well, let me tell you, that is actually quite a dangerous place to be in your life. Listen, lone Christian is terribly prone to the errors of self-deception and self-doubt when it comes to their walk with the Lord, their salvation, and just their general faith journey. But it is reassuring at times to hear a pastor on behalf of the church say, listen, as far as we can tell in our conversations, you are the real thing. You are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Rest assured, dear sister or dear brother, you are a true believer in Christ and a member of Christ's body. Perfect? No, absolutely not. Struggling along the way? Yes, join the rest of us. And so membership. First of all, listen, it is beneficial because it's affirmation from the church on behalf of the pastors to the individual, and it gives assurance to you. Number three, membership is beneficial because it is accountability within the church. When we join a church, we are offering ourselves to one another to be encouraged, to be corrected, even rebuked and served. We are placing ourselves under leaders and submitting to their authority. Mark Devers, he writes in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he says this, and I quote, Church membership is our opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love. I love how he puts that, to grab hold of one another. In love and responsibility, by identifying ourselves with a particular church, we let the pastors and other members of that local church know that we intend to be committed in attendance, giving, prayer, and service. We allow fellow believers to have great expectations of us in these areas, and we make it known that we are the responsibility of this local church we assure the church of our commitment to Christ in serving with them, and we call for their commitment to serve and encourage us as well. And here's the thing. Listen to this. This accountability, it is for your own perseverance in the faith to not let you wander from the gospel of Jesus Christ without pressing hard to bring you back. After all, it's Jesus who said in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so in church membership, what we are doing is we are yoking ourselves together to accountability while we are in our spiritually, if I can use that spiritually, in our right minds in case someday sin gets a foothold in our hearts and begins to blind us to the truth and we begin to go astray. And if that ever happens, you're in a church family who cares about your spiritual well-being. As James 5.19.20 says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so this accountability, listen, it is for all of ours, including myself. It is for the perseverance of our faith in Jesus Christ. And then last but not least, number four, the fourth benefit, is membership is an announcement before the world. It's an announcement before the world. Membership is one way to raise the flag of faith and announce before the world that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are part of this local body of believers. You see, to become a Christian is what? at, At a minimum, it's to take the name of Jesus Christ, the name of God upon us. After all, what did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 19? We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this reality is powerfully pictured in what is described of the saints in Revelation 22, 4, where it says they will see his face, that is Jesus Christ, and his name will be on their foreheads. But what happens, though, in a country like ours, where almost 70% of people label themselves as, quote, Christians, They say and think to themselves, hey, I'm a good person. I wear a cross necklace or I got a cross tattoo. I go to church on Christmas and Easter. You want to know what happens? Christ's name is defiled. Because people take his name upon themselves without even knowing him in the first place in genuine saving faith. But when the church receives someone into its membership, we are in essence saying to them, yes, we see that Christ's name is upon you as much as we can discern that as a human being. here. We affirm that you are in Christ and Christ is in you based upon your profession of faith. And we now announce it before a watching world. And consequently, we promote the assurance of that individual. We protect the purity of the church. We proclaim a clear message to the world, and we preserve the name of God and most of all, the glory of God. And so I hope you are just beginning to get a glimpse here. You're beginning to see that church membership is beautiful for us. It is beneficial for us. It is good for us. And most of all, it glorifies God. And because church membership matters to God, and because it is good for us, we simply want to now formally encourage what Scripture already teaches. You see, church membership is a way of making explicit what Scripture implicitly teaches. Therefore, we here at LifeBridge, we believe membership is a very scriptural expression of one's commitment to a local church. Now, what's the biggest difference between those who are attenders in a church and those who are actual members of a church? There's a lot of differences between the two, but probably one word that sums up the differences the most is this word commitment, a covenant. What is church membership? Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Membership in the local church involves a formal commitment with other believers who have joined together to fulfill the purposes of God to the glory of God. And commitment is what helps you cross over. Commitment is what allows you to make that real in your life. Again, if I can go back to the analogy of my wife, if I kept telling my wife, if we were dating, "Darling, I love you, I love you, I love you, I want to spend time with you, but I never asked her to marry me. What do you think in reality that says? My wife, after a while, would have said, Bruce, you need to get it out of park and make a decision, or I'm leaving. There had to come a point in time in our relationship where I decided I'm making a commitment, a lifelong commitment to this woman. And then, what did we do? We stood before a watching world. We stood before God Almighty and our guests and our family and friends right here on this platform, and we make covenant vows to one another as an expression of our commitment. Membership is how we formally recognize and commit to one another as believers. Again, if I may quote Jonathan Lehman, he offers this definition. He says church membership is a church's affirmation and oversight of a church's profession of faith and discipleship combined with the church's or combined with the Christian submission to the church and its oversight. In other words, here's what he's saying: membership is more than just scrolling down the page of some website and hitting the agree button on the pop-up screen so you can proceed to the next page. Membership is a covenant promise to partner with one another in carrying out the purposes of God and a willingness to hold one another accountable in our journeys of faith. Here's how author and pastor John Piper summarized the matter of church membership. He says it this way, The New Testament knows of no Christians who are not accountable members of local churches. Lone Ranger Christians are a contradiction because becoming a Christian means being united to Christ in union with Christ expresses itself in union with a local body of believers. And then he asks these questions. He says, are you an accountable member of a local church? Not just is your name somewhere. But are you committed to discipline and being disciplined according to biblical standards? Have you publicly declared your willingness to be shepherd and to be led by the leaders of a local church? Do you see yourself and your gifts as part of an organic ministering body? Do you show by your firm attachment to Christ's body that you are attached to Christ himself? Church membership is a blood-bought gift of God's grace. More than most of us realize, it is a life-sustaining, faith-strengthening, joy-preserving means of God's mercy to us. I urge you not to cut yourself off from this blessing. Oh, that we here at LifeBridge, that we would rediscover the blessing and the joys and the benefits of church membership. As I know, so many of you have already. Most of you, many of you, are already members here at LifeBridge, and we appreciate you committing yourself to this church family. Now, this morning, I am so excited to present to you church members here at LifeBridge new members that want to covenant with us, they want to commit to us in membership. As I said, We just got through finishing our new members class, No 101, four sessions this last month. And out of that class, many of them would like to formally present themselves, and we want to celebrate their membership into our church. So I want to ask you, if you're part of that this morning, would you stand, just leave your pew and come and stand at the front of the auditorium here. Defined group of people. Amen. Amen. We're excited about it. We will have others be joining as well in the, in the coming Sundays, but today these folks here uh, have contacted me. I've met with them and let them share their story a little bit with me about their salvation, how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're in agreement with our statements and, uh, and, and uh, structures and, and this membership covenant that I'm getting ready to read to us together. And, uh, and so I'm excited. Well, who we have here is, uh, this is Ashton Michalczyk, and he is a young man. And, uh, and Ashton, can I say who your grandmother is? Of course. Of course. All right. <laughs> his grandmother is right back there, Dewana Michalczyk. And so we're excited to have Ashton want to come into the membership of our church, and he knows Christ as his Savior and Lord. And then we have Terry King. Terry King has been coming and attending our church for several years now, and has been wanting to join. And, in fact, Terry, this is cool how he came to learn of our church. He learned of our church through our, a mailer that came in the mail. And at Easter time, we send out anywhere from ten to 15,000, 20,000 mailers around our church community uh, advertising our, our Easter service. And Terry got one of those in the mail and said, I think I'm going to go check it out. He's never been anywhere else. We're excited about that, Terry. So, really cool. And, yeah. And then this is Caleb and his beautiful wife, Abigail. And they come from Oklahoma, and we won't hold that against him, <laughs> and, uh, but we're excited to have Abigail and Caleb here. They have two kids, two toddlers. Well, Theo's not a toddler. He's actually in elementary school. They have a little boy and a daughter, and, uh, and we're so excited. They've been attending here for about a year now, and if I can, if I can share this, would it be all right to share about what's happening tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, so now I actually asked him, all right, but... He, he was a, a pastor for a few years in Oklahoma, felt the Lord calling in a different direction, moved up here with the intention of being a chaplain in the Navy. And God just shut those doors down. But he, he just felt it through prayer, he and his wife, and, and we did some talking about this as well, that the Lord was still leading in that direction, but just a different means. And so he is actually leaving tomorrow. Are you getting on a train or a plane? A plane to fly up to Chicago uh, where he starts boot camp for the Navy. And so for the next six, nine months, he's going to be gone, which means, church, we have a beautiful responsibility to come around Abigail and her two kids and support you, pray for you, and just encourage you the best that we can while he is gone at boot camp. And, uh, and so this is a, I'm so glad we get to do that. And then this is Audrey and Dan uh, Sherry, and they come all the way from Pennsylvania And uh, Dan, it was, how long ago? It was last summer, right? When he started coming here. a year ago. January. So I'm losing track of my time. Last January, and uh, he made the move here because he's attending seminary and college right down the road here, Midwestern Baptist uh, Spurgeon College and Seminary, getting his counseling degree. Audrey has a job here at North Kansas City Hospital. They have three kids, actually four, one still back in Pennsylvania. And so we're just excited. That we are able to uh, link arms with you and the Langfords. If I can point them out, Alan and Becky had a huge influence in really helping them when they first moved here, in just in in some major ways, in just showing them the love of Christ, and uh, and that just was like such a huge testimony on behalf of our church. And so thank you, Becky and and Alan, very much. You were very integral, and it just made a lasting impression. And now they they just. While they're, t- they're not here forever. They're only here for a few years while he's doing his schooling, but they want to make this their church home, and we're excited about that. And so in our membership class, we, uh, our membership covenant is this, and this is what they are committing to, covenanting together. We as a church member, we're basically saying the same thing back to them. We're linking arms together in all this where we're saying, I will protect the unity of my church. That's number one. I will share the responsibility of my church I will serve the ministry of my church. I will support the testimony of my church. I will safeguard the purity of my church, and I will submit to the authority of my church. And these, these folks here are committing to do just that, and we're excited for it. And so I'm going to pray here in just a minute, and when I'm done praying, you guys can have a seat, and then we're gonna, this praise team's going to come. We're going to sing a song, and they're going to come back up here, and you can come and welcome them into the membership. Now, we're still a little bit in COVID. So you got to be respectful, you know, be, be, just be aware. Pre-COVID, see, we just, we'd hug on you and love on you, but we kind of need to take that into consideration. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for your goodness and grace to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for, for your church, Lord, that you died for and that you have redeemed us. And it's your grand design that we are a part of local assemblies all across this world. And so thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of LifeBridge here and that these, these people are coming into the membership of our church. They're committing with us, coming together, linking arms with us, Lord. And we thank you for that. May we be an encouragement to them, a support to them, holding them accountable as best as we can in their own journey of faith or walk with the Lord as they help us to fulfill your purposes through our church here at LifeBridge. And, and Lord, as a church family, we are committing that back to them. And we want to do the best that we can. We know we will not do this perfectly. We will fall short at times. And so we need your grace to help us. We are not a perfect church, Lord, but thankfully you have a perfect son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and goes before us. We thank you for that in your son's name. Amen.